Drug developers, investors, researchers, and corporate executives wrestle weekly to understand what is happening in commercial development of NASH medications. Join hepatology researcher and key opinion leader Stephen Harrison, patient advocate Donna Cryer, liver wellness advocate Louise Campbell, and forecasting and pricing guru Roger Green as they discuss the issues affecting the evolving NASH market from their own unique perspectives on the Surfing the NASH Tsunami podcast. Hi, this is Roger Green, executive producer and host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast, and welcome to our year-end review. Based on listener requests, we're releasing each of our eight year-end interviews as what we call an extrasode, a 20 to 25-minute piece covering a single topic. This extrasode is with Stephen Harrison, who will discuss what we've learned about use of clinical endpoints and clinical trials since the complete response letter to Intercept back in June and our episode that followed that. Questionnaires include Louise Campbell and me, and we begin. So this portion of our year-end wrap-up is with Stephen Harrison, who's been with us, as you know, 40 of these 42 episodes as a co-host and exceptional contributor. The topic we're going to talk about in the next segment is clinical trial endpoints, something we discussed earlier in the year, and Stephen wanted to bring us up to date on what we've learned since June when we discussed it. Stephen, why don't you take five, six minutes and lay out the issue for us? Louise and I will have a couple of questions, and then we'll wrap up this segment. Thanks, Roger. It's been a great pleasure to be a part of this podcast in 2020, and one of the bright spots in an otherwise very 2020 with COVID. So one of our previous episodes, we had a discussion about clinical trial endpoints, brought up that maybe clinical trial endpoints uh, were changed in the sense that the goalposts potentially were moved and that surrogate approval is likely uh, on the chopping block relative to the CRL that was uh, sent to intercept. So I'd like to take a few minutes and provide an end-of-the-year 2020 update on where I believe things currently stand. Based on my ongoing conversations with the regulatory authority, as well as with many pharmaceutical companies and drug development for NASH, I do not believe that the goalposts have changed. Clinical trial endpoints for surrogate approval still revolve around the two histopathologic endpoints. One, NASH resolution without worsening of fibrosis, or two, fibrosis improvement without worsening of NASH. In addition, surrogate conditional approval is still on the table and has not been taken off. So I think that point needs to be made clear. Having said that, where I think we moved to in 2021 is an aggressive, conscientious effort to begin to improve on the current endpoints because of all the noise that's currently surrounding them. And potentially, this would involve a couple of different techniques. Number one, given the way we currently evaluate histopathology, it would be nice if we could have a uniform way in which we collect the liver biopsy sample, process it, and analyze it. Number two, I think we've learned a lot about the complexities of statistical analyses relative to inter and intra-observer variability. As a result of this, I think we begin to move towards a better way to analyze the output provided by the histopathology. One way that I think that can happen is by ensuring that we have two pathologists independently read the paired liver biopsy samples in a blinded format, then have them report their data and where they differ 
they come together, look at the slide, adjudicate their differences, and develop a consensus opinion. One thing that I think would also be helpful is prior to ever looking at the baseline data, the two pathologists could come together and harmonize their thought by reviewing multiple cases, particularly the borderline cases, to gain agreement on what constitutes NASH and fibrosis would be incredibly helpful. Subsequently, I think additional benefits would begin to utilize artificial intelligence to overlay with what the hepatopathologist is calling so that we can begin to provide more fully quantitative evaluation of changes in histopathology and provide more clarity around how drugs are working relative to liver biopsies. Ultimately, I think we use artificial intelligence as a bridge to non-invasive testing platforms. And I think through collaborative efforts such as Litmus, Nimble, the Liver Forum, key opinion leaders, patient advocacy-based groups, and pharmaceutical companies, we will be able to achieve these goals. So the future looks bright. We've had a great year of readouts in the NASH field. Many presentations were provided at the Digital ILC and Digital AASLB, giving us great promise for drug development in this field. As we move towards better endpoint analyses, we will gain more clarity on how effective these drugs can be and ultimately their ability to predict long-term patient outcome with surrogate endpoints. So I'll, I'll stop there and see if you have any, any questions about my, my thoughts. I thought they were excellent points. And I think obviously there has been a lot of questioning for sort of surrogate endpoints during this year, but it sounds as if you're sort of calling for a very central set of histopathologists to review all NAFLD and NASH studies, would that be right? So that it was consistent in each region of the world, for example, so that every study used the same histopathologist, that's about the only way that, that you could level that playing field? Is that what I was hearing? Well, let, maybe let me clarify one or two points. If you look at clintrials.gov and you look under the heading of NASH, there are currently 34 trials in clinicaltrials.gov, and only more will be added to that number. Collectively, we're talking around 11,000 F2 and F3 NASH patients. That's a lot of work for just a handful of pathologists to review. I, I do think we are limited by the number of experienced expert hepatopathologists that can render an opinion of this magnitude for NASH clinical trial development. And I do think we need to grow the bench in bringing on newer pathologists. However, if we look at this very pragmatically, there are about six to seven pathologists around the country and around the world that predominantly read the clinical trials that are currently in development. In fact, maybe even three or four of them have predominantly read the majority of them. So for the foreseeable near future, I think we need to begin to just do some very pragmatic things. Number one, we just need to all do it the same way every time. And I think ultimately where we have two pathologists that can come together, harmonize their thoughts, review the data independently and adjudicate their differences, that gives us the best shot on goal in the short term. In the long term, we need to begin to transition away to non-invasive testing. Given the limitations of histopathology, 
with the, you know, all the limitations that we understand relative to that, and maybe one that we don't always talk about, and that is the limitation of expert pathologists to read the data. You know, that that's another key point that, that you highlight, Louise, that I think is worth noting, because we always talk about the noise of the biopsy, the heterogeneity of the biopsy, the, the sampling variability, the discomfort associated with it. But we don't always talk about the lack of expert pathologists in reading those slides. And I think that is another another uh, point to consider when we we, trans- we begin to talk about the transition and endpoints away from a semi-quantitative analysis to a fully quantitative assessment to a non-invasive assessment. Stephen, does that mean that a move to using AI as the predominant mode for reading would <laughs> enable us to process trials quicker? If you've got six or seven people in 11,000 cases, that feels like a bottleneck. Well, it is a a bottleneck, Roger. And I think, you know, the agency is taking very uh, deliberate steps, very carefully considering how we can begin to overlay AI onto semi-quantitative assessment of collagen and and the other aspects of the NAFLD activity score. From my understanding, that kind of begins with an artificial intelligence readout of the liver slide. And then a pathologist looking at that with the corresponding H and E trichrome and saying yes or no, the computer got it right, the computer didn't get it right. And I think as we show, hopefully, that the computer is getting it right 98, 99% of the time, that eventually we can transition away from the need for that overlay read by the pathologist and we can have simply the AI read. Once we get to that point, we no longer need to put so much emphasis on just a handful of pathologists reading the data. So maybe that's how we get there. I have three questions left if we have time to do all of them. First one is, how long do you expect that transition will take? How long to get to the point where we have AI and a pathologist and then beyond that to AI doing the read by itself? If you look at the way the agency is working with the groups within NASH to get to that point. You have to have a drug development tool such as AI. You have to present that data to the agency in the form of an LOI. It gets approved. Then you put together a formal development plan to the agency. You have to generate the data from that plan, analyze the plan, analyze the results from that data, and share it with the agency. And all that takes time. I would say in the most expeditious timeline, we're probably a year, year and a half out from having that initial overlay of AI on top of the pathologist reading. And beyond that, we have to get comfortable with the AI output, and that's probably another year. So we're probably two and a half years out of the earliest before AI, if at all, would replace a semi-quantitative assessment. So all this came up in the context of skepticism around OCA and whether OCA was going to deliver clinical outcomes. What leads you to believe that clinical outcomes might not be necessary? Ultimately, clinical outcomes are necessary. But in the vein of, in the vein of, of conditional approval or surrogate approval, there, there is a lot of data being generated that's incredibly positive that these tests are predictive. And again, I mentioned this on a separate podcast, but I would invite everybody to review the paper written by Alina Allen on MR elastography published in clinical gastroenterology and hepatology, where she showed in the setting of cirrhosis that if you have an MRE of 5 kPa, that over a three-year time period, it predicted decompensation to the tune of about 20% of the patients. Alternatively, if your MRE was 8 
KPA. Over that same three-year period, 40% of the patients decompensated. As more and more of that data comes out, it will inform clinical trials. It'll inform regulatory authorities. And potentially, it'll help us pivot away from our current semi-quantitative or fully quantitative uh, liver biopsy analysis to what people affectionately call a surrogate of a surrogate. I'm very confident that we can get there. Louise, closing question. Stephen, closing thought. My only question was, how do you see 2020 going down in the sort of natural history of development of NAFLD and NASH treatments and outcomes? Well, I think people will look back on 2020 with a lot of different thoughts. And NASH drug development probably won't be at the top of their list of thoughts relative to what happened in 2020. However, for those of us that live in this space, it was a a critical juncture, a very important year where we had hidden in all of the pandemic discussion incredibly good results come out of early phase trials in NASH. I think it highlights the fact that the more we learn about NASH, the better our therapeutic modalities become, and we're beginning to see fruits of that labor. Now, the focus has also been on this whole endpoint discussion because it became clear that the current endpoint as they are defined, are quite noisy. And drugs from the first generation of pipeline that went through really hit that noisy endpoint hard, and it was hard for them to overcome the endpoint. I think with the second and third generation drugs pushing through to paired liver biopsy endpoints, we're going to begin to see them rise above that noise. But where we're able to shrink the noise, we'll be able to further accentuate the potential benefit of the drug and I think give us more clarity on exactly what mechanisms are best. And as we begin to look at combination therapy, which ones we should begin to combine to augment and both of them working together. I think that sounds like a great note to wrap up on, Stephen. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you on the podcast. This ends our extra episode with Stephen Harrison. If you find this extra episode concept valuable, please let us know. And with that, enjoy your vacation and stay safe. We'll see you in 2021 on the podcast.